you know, I have three kids and so they're all, you know, we love them all. Right. And so we love all of our Just brands. Um, one more the other day. Than the other. <laughs> they have different strengths, different opportunities. Yeah. Right. Um, but one kid's a weeded one's, you know, <laughs> right, right. one kid's a high ride. Welcome back. It's episode 276 of Bourbon Pursuit, the podcast featuring news, reviews, and interviews with those making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. Before we start today's podcast, talking about Old Charter Oak, here's your weekly bourbon news update. Bullet Whiskey has announced that it's teaming up with American Forests, the oldest national nonprofit conservation organization in the United States and a leader in the forestry innovation industry, with a goal to plant 1 million trees over the next five years. This is part of the recently announced Bullet Frontier Fund, that will help build a more sustainable future for the bartending and hospitality industry and those communities that surround it as well. Well, that's all for the news. Now let's move on to some bourbon release news. Founded in Tell City, Indiana in 1863 by German immigrant August Krogman, the Krogman brand has now relaunched as a straight whiskey company and has released the new Krogman's Single Barrel Collection. This set brings together all nine of the currently produced MGP mash bills, and each whiskey is bottled at cast strength with no chill filtering and features a unique nickname for each barrel used. The nickname of each whiskey reflects a different aspect of what we typically see in the bourbon social media realm. Words like tater bait, wax dips, chugs, max profits, and among others. You can also mix and match, blending these single barrel expressions together to create your own unique blend. This is currently only sold in Indiana and has an SRP of $49.99. Widow Jane is releasing a 10-year bourbon called Decadence that was blended in small batches and finished in barrels that once held Crown Maple Artisan Syrup. Widow Jane Decadence is bottled at 91 proof, will be released at around 3,300 bottles, will be distributed on a limited basis to only 10 states, and has an SRP of $79.99. Barrelcraft Spirits is releasing a special blend of straight bourbon whiskeys that have been matured for 15 years. Distilled in Indiana, Kentucky, and Tennessee, this ultra-premium limited release was crafted and bottled at 104.9 proof. There will be 12,000 bottles of BCS bourbon available at select retailers and online via their website at BarrelBourbon.com. It will have a suggested retail price of $250, and it will also include a classic black storage case. Jim Beam is releasing a new batched premium expression that is exclusive to the travel retail market called Lineage. This whiskey is the first collaboration between Jim Beam's 7th and 8th generation family distillers, Fred and Freddie No, who you heard back most recently on episode 254. Aged in charred white oak barrels and Warehouse K since 2004, this bourbon is a 15-year-old and proofed at 110. It will be available for purchase at global travel retail locations in early 2021 for a price of $250. Michter's is putting out its 25-year-old release, and this is led by master distiller Dan McKee. And Michter's determined it is now time for the new bottling run from this limited inventory. This particular vintage was last bottled in 2017, and the proof of this 2020 release is 116.2 and is set to price at around $1,000 for a 750 ml bottle. No indication of the amount of bottles that will be available either. For today's podcast, it's great for two reasons. We're joined by Joshua Steely, who has probably one of the best jobs in the bourbon business by being the marketing director for bourbon at Buffalo Trace. But he's also a fan of the show, and we enjoy having guests like him on. This is also the first podcast where we cover the old Charter Oak series, 
It's a line extension that focuses on the effect of different types of oak and what they do to bourbon. We're talking oak that's harvested from all over the world and some of the oak being hundreds of years old. Did you see that we released our review of the 2020 Antique Collection on Whiskey Quickie this week? Well, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on those bonus episodes. With that, enjoy today's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. As I look at the decanters from yesterday, oh man, they're pretty, they're ornate, you got things like the Ducks Unlimited, you got canteens, you got crows, you got penguins, they're all so cool. But one thing they didn't do is hold whiskey very well. Now listen, the greatest bourbon I've ever tasted was an Old Crow Chest decanter piece, and it's probably a miracle that the majority of those I have purchased were full. Now, I happen to also know the weights, and before I buy a decanter, I weigh them to see if anything had evaporated. However, as I look at the shelf and see how beautiful they are, what they're not doing is making me want to drink out of them. What makes me want to drink out of a bottle of whiskey is to see the whiskey. You see, I do not like the trend of bottles and bourbon being colored. While I like New Riff, while I think New Riff is delicious, and I think that's one of the more exciting new distillers that we have, I hate the bottle. I want to be able to see through the whiskey. I want to be able to see it. And that nice clouded bottle, while it is nice and everything, it does have some aesthetics, it's not letting me see it. There's a trend of a lot of brands coloring their bottles so you can't see the whiskey. Now, I'm not saying they're hiding anything, but when I can't see the whiskey, my first thought is, it's young. So, if you want to see that trend change, if you want to be able to see the whiskey, let folks know. They listen to you. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, be sure to hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just look for my name, Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com. 
and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to the episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan today at one of my favorite distilleries. I've always talked about this on the podcast. We're at Buffalo Trace today. and we're gonna I think be, it's everyone's favorite distillery. I mean, with, with as much as everybody talks about Bland's and stuff like that, you'd think that people are just, it's, it's the whole world's favorite distillery. They're on every single... Uh, news cover and outlet and is this is you know whatever's coming out next is it's the you know the next new pappy and even though pappy comes from here so they're just everything they touch is gold it seems like yeah they can't fail here it's like everyone here has the easiest job ever it's like <laughs> just, you make it sell it <laughs> no i'm kidding but, uh, but today i'm excited because we're going to be talking about a brand that not many people actually know about this is something that um, our guest actually reached out to us because we've owned and had him on the, on the show before. And I'm like, let's think of a good topic. Like, what's a, what's a good spin that we can do? And he's like, what about Old Charter Oak? And I'm like, that's that's a fantastic idea because yep. it is it is something that comes out of, you know, a long line of experimentation that they've been doing at the distillery. They've had a few different releases. It's very, very limited. It's hard to get. We had the opportunity to try, I think it was French Oak, maybe yeah. it was on our- French and- Mongolian, maybe something like that. But yeah. we were, we did a barrel pick here for Eagle Rare, and they brought it out, and we tried it, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is delicious!" Yeah, so it's fantastic. We're, we're really going to dive into you know more about what Old Charter Oak is, sort of like the idea behind it, you know, all the experimentation, the story, everything like that. Yeah, super excited. I mean, like we said, most everything that comes out of here is like really fantastic stuff. So this is just another extension of that, and so. I, I got five glasses of in front of me, so let's stop chattering and, and let's get, get to, to it, it so yeah. we can start tasting. So let's go ahead. We'll introduce our guest. So today on the show, we have Joshua Steely. Joshua is the marketing director of Bourbon. Great title over here at Buffalo Trace Distillery. So Josh, welcome to this. Joshua, welcome to the show. Well, guys, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Should be fun. So before we kind of dive into this and before we dive into more about you, we always start the show with a random icebreaker. So yours is What's the most ridiculous thing that someone has tricked you into doing or believing? Oh, gosh. Oh, man. What a question. <laughs> Repeat the question. <laughs> what is the most ridiculous thing that somebody's actually tricked you into doing or believing? Okay. Um, that's a really good icebreaker. And the first thing that, that popped in my brain was 16, 17 years old. My first car was a 1986 Chevy Blazer and had like a three inch lift and big wheels and tires. Uh, I worked at a car dealership detailing cars. And so I kept it immaculate. You know, it was my baby. It was my first car. And I had a buddy who was like, come on, this thing's four wheel drive. It's got big wheels. Let's go off-roading. And I would never do it. And then one day he talked me into, there was this field near where we lived and he said, let's do it. And I, you know, I had a moment of weakness. I did it. And let me just tell you, we about broke the car um, <laughs> in the field, and when we got out of it, um, the it, it never worked right ever again. I had problem after problem after problem, and I don't think I kept the car much after a year after that because that the off-roading session was a little too much. Oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> it's a good story though. I'll, I'll tell mine real quick, and then I'll let you go last about that. Perfect. Okay, so. Mine was in college. There's a few guys in my fraternity and we were in this group project together. And it was it was like one of those cake classes sort of in the year things. And 
they said like we had the end of the year kind of like presentation or readout and they said like hey we're actually going to dress up um so bring your suit bring your tie we're actually gonna make this really good so when we present in front of the class and i was like cool you know and i'm a freshman they're a senior so what do you think actually happens i dress up in a suit and tie i go to class i walk in i'm the only one wearing a suit and tie and the whole place is just rolling laughing so <laughs> that was uh that was a good good embarrassing moment for me but they had me they had me believing that we were gonna actually do our presentation a shirt and tie and i've never seen you in a shirt and tie or nor myself i don't <laughs> i don't wear it much either t-shirt and that was uh that was a little bit of like a happy gilmore ninth green yeah uh, exactly. kind of moment show with the ninth green at midnight yeah, pretty much <laughs> right when the sprinklers are on uh-huh i don't know this is a really dumb story but uh it's first thing that popped in my head when I was a kid. I had like a somebody's rookie card. It was like, I think it was like Mark McGuire or somebody that's worth a lot. And this guy was like, I'll give you 50,000 yen for it. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And so I took the 50,000 yen. I took it home. I was like, guys, I'm rich. Like I took, went to my parents. I was like, I'm rich. And they're like, you know, it's only like $2. And, <laughs> and I was like, so devastated. I gave away my Mark McGuire, uh, rookie card for uh for two fifty thousand yen yeah oh man that was the first thing that popped in my head who, who do you remember who you sold it to some older kid it was like oh he definitely, i was like in third he grade you. he was in fifth grade or something I don't, I don't know why why would you have yen you know at that age but i don't know yeah well if the word fifty thousand you're like it's oh i know sold. i'm like i'm like i can buy all these mark mcguire cards you know power rangers whatever i want power <laughs> rangers talk about flashbacks there yeah all right so let's get into joshua here so talk about you know your role first you know being you know the director of bourbon because we've talked about before you know today we've got old charter oak but you know you've got almost everything under the portfolio underneath you don't you yeah we have a, a lot of brands you know bourbon brands we make here at distillery and so um, you know, a lot of them, you know, roll up in, in, into our team. Um, and so, you know, the marketing director at the end of the day, you know, we do whatever we need to do. We're, we're you know, we're part of the team here at Buffalo Trace. But specifically, we're just in charge of, you know, managing the business and the brands and, and uh, sort of setting long-term strategy and, and visions for each one of our brands and, and, and really trying to unlock the potential long-term. And so what does that look like uh, day in, day out? It looks like a lot of things from, uh, you know, innovation and new packaging and, and new product launches to, um, you know, making sure we we hit our sales objectives to forecasting and allocations. And, you know, so a little bit of everything at the end of the day, you know, you're sort of a general manager, you put on a lot of different hats and you just need to know enough in a lot of different areas to be dangerous and ask the right questions and bring the right people in to solve <laughs> problems and that sort of thing. So how hard is it to be a marketing director of something that just sells itself and like, but people want more, but you can't give them more. How hard is that? Yeah, there's a lot in that question right there. Uh, I will say, I don't think it sells itself. You know, we're sitting in, well, we're sitting in this, <laughs> yeah, we're sitting in this place in time. And I, I'd say there's been, uh, you know, a hundred plus years of work to get to where we are today, but certainly a lot of work in the last 20 years from a lot of different people. Um, and so the situation we're in today is a, is a product of all of that. Um, but it, it is an interesting position that we're selling, um, you know, every single one of our premium bourbon brands are, are allocated and, and, you know, we sell every drop of it. Obviously, we're cranking away, making more each and every year. You guys have heard Harlan and others talk about that, you know, the $1.2 billion of investment in, in capacity expansion. Um, but it leads to a lot of other issues, you know, the fact that a lot of people want it and have trouble finding it on shelves. And that, you know, it's a problem. It's a granted, it's a first world problem in some sense, but it, it's still an issue because we don't like to let people down at the end of the day we we love for we'd rather people be able to walk in and find our stuff you know we, we don't try to be high, high maintenance on purpose 
if there's as a marketing director, where is there a uh, is there a brand that you put more of your allegiance behind that you have more fun with? Like, I know that you all do a lot of stuff with being able to, you know, even lately exposing, you know, the personalities and the people on Facebook doing lives and stuff like that. Um, and you know, you're either either highlighting Angle Rare, you're highlighting Blantons, you're highlighting something like that. Is there is there one that you look as like, hey, this is a good driver? Like, we're going to put more effort behind this one. Yeah, um, really good question. We, we certainly have a lot of hopes for a lot of different brands, you know, and they're all important. So you little, you know, there's a little bit of a, a thought of like, you know, I have three kids, and so they're all, you know, we love them all, right? And so we love all of our Just brands. Just one more the <laughs> other day. Than the <laughs> they have different strengths, different opportunities, yeah. right? Um, but one kid's a weeded, one's you know, <laughs> right. One kid's a high rise. You know. um, so I, I'd say the short, the, the short answer is that, you know, we, we love them all where we try to be a little bit agnostic in that sense. But, um, you know, we also, um, we try to project and when you're talking bourbon, look, you're, you're, you're trying to forecast six, eight, 10, 20, 23 plus years out. And, um, you know, you have to figure out what demand is for those and, and sort of just, just take a really educated guess on what that'll be for each brand. And it's not going to be the same for every brand, Right. Um, and so we certainly have sort of priorities and have thoughts on which brands could be the biggest over long periods of time. But, um, but we try to fulfill each of the brand's potential at the end of the day. I mean, does your, are you really putting it in a spreadsheet or you're just like, I'll just keep that still going, keep cranking them out. We'll keep filling barrels in the warehouses. We'll, we'll figure it out later. There are a lot of spreadsheets involved and a lot of people involved in those spreadsheets because there's a lot of money on the line. At the end of the day, we just talked about $1.2 billion of expansion and, guess what? That's not coming out of, uh, you know, my checkbook, <laughs> you know, so, so someone's writing that check in. And, uh, so we put a lot of thought in, in a lot of conversation up and down the organization and these things, because, uh, there's a, there's a lot of resources writing, you know, writing on these decisions. Yeah. And while we talk about brands and, you know, Ryan's actually sporting one, can you talk about, you know, his uh, early times now that that's going to be under the Sazerac portfolio? Is that something that you're going to have involvement with them now too? Yeah, we're, we're thinking through that as a team right now. Early times is interesting. Obviously, you know, it, it just came into the portfolio. Um, but it, it, it's a brand that really sits in two places right now. It's a, it's a Kentucky whiskey, you know, using used barrels. Um, and that, that's the majority of the volume. But then there's the, the bottle and the bond bourbon as well. And so that's where our, that's where we love. That's, right. Yeah, that's where we love. And I know that. And that's where my head is too. Uh, and, and my heart. Um, so we, I think as an organization, we're trying to figure out what that brand's going to be long term because it's sort of, straddles straddles a fence right now and, and you know, also on the personal side of you i know that you're a, you're a vols fan you know from tennessee originally kind of right. talk about how you you got to this point being here at buffalo trace that's right go vols um no oh, so oh. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> cough, 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 cough. <laughs> no uh, i grew up in in nashville tennessee um uh so so grew up there so that that's what you know that's why my allegiances lie there but uh, in 2008, after business school, I, I did my MBA after business school. I moved to Louisville, my first job out of business school. Um, I was working for Yum Brands, you know, KFC, Talk About Pizza, um, and had a lot of a lot, lot of guys at work, you know, tell me about bourbon. I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't really into whiskey at that time, um, and they were telling me all about it. Living in Louisville, right? It's a it's a bourbon town. It's part of the culture and the, the fabric of the city. And I have to say, um, when I tasted it, it something clicked it's it's for the first time you know this wasn't like rum and coke you know just drinking it and not putting a lot of thought into it, it slowed me down um it, it it caused you to sort of dissect it and pay attention to the full sort of experience from the nosing to to the taste to the you know to the finish 
and I was hooked. So I sort of fell in love with bourbon in 2008 and, um, you know, uh, didn't work in the industry at, at that time, but I, I, you know, my passion was brand building. And I thought if I could ever combine my passions of brand building and bourbon, I would take that opportunity. And it took several years and, um, before I made that transition. Uh, so, um, that, that's kind of where it started for me. And that, that's, that's how I got into the industry. How did you get that opportunity? So I was in uh, consumer packaged goods, you know, managing, you know, d- doing what I do in, in just different categories um, to what I do today and uh, just built relationship uh, relationships. I was going to Whiskey Fest every year with buddies. And so every year I would just see the, a lot of the same people at Whiskey Fest. Uh, Chris Comstock, who uh, who leads our uh, bur- bourbon and whiskey marketing team here at Buffalo Trace. Uh, I, I started building a relationship with him and, and would see him every year and then you know, just exchange emails with them every now and again and say, Hey, I'm going to be coming back to Kentucky. My wife's from Louisville. Or can I find some Blantons? No, I, did, I never did that. Um, you know, I had my own sources, so I didn't need to, uh, I didn't need to infringe, but my wife's from Louisville. And so we would come back to Louisville all the time and I'd come back through going back to home to Nashville a lot as well. And I, you know, I'd uh, stop and do distillery tours all the time, but I would just stay connected with him. And, um, you know, he showed me around the distillery once or twice and uh, when I was ready to make a move, I just sent him an email and said, uh, just heads up, I'm making a move. I would love to, I'd love to finally make that transition to bourbon. Let me know if you know of any, any roles in bourbon. You know, I didn't, I wasn't even thinking Buffalo Trace, but um, I got an email from a recruiter like 30 minutes later saying, actually, there's a new, there's a new uh, brand manager role on, at Buffalo Trace managing the bourbon portfolio of Buffalo Trace. Uh, and the interview process started and, you know, it was really just a, a, a blessing and, and right timing. And uh, these things came together is certainly uh, I'm extremely fortunate to be in the position I was in. But, you know, I knew in that moment um, that, uh, uh, you know, I was super excited. I knew that job was for me. So that's fantastic. And that was also what time? What year was that when you uh, we started joining here? 2017 2017 so it's been okay. about three years on the dot. Actually, yeah. I think I started right for Labor Day. Yeah, I mean, and so you've you've seen you came in when it's been crazy, right? I mean, so has it been, has it gotten crazier since? For 20, sure. I mean, we're, you know, I came in obviously, I mean, uh, upper trajectory, uh, even three years ago, but in just in three years, things have changed. Just demand on, on brands like Weller is a great example. I mean, it, when I came in I was like, you know, I think the first thing I did was raise my hand and say, Hey guys, Weller's a big deal. You know, we should probably think about maybe increasing the steal time for Weller even more than we're already doing. Um, and, uh, you know, the demand for weather in the last three years has just, the, you feel it's just palpable. That, yeah. It went from like a everyday bourbon to kind of like an Insta famous bourbon. Like I people mean, like, you know, yeah. just, in three years I used to go to Rite Aid and get it. Now people are like posted on Instagram, you know, you got their Weller 12 and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a funny story. I came down, when I came down to do one of my interviews with, uh, Mark Brown, our, our, our CEO and president CEO, um, I stopped at a uh, CVS here in Louisville and, and saw Weller special reserve sitting on the shelf. And I was like, you know, score. Uh, and so, uh, I just, you just don't see that as much anymore. Um, so things have changed on that brand in the last three years. I think Eagle Rare, same thing. You could find Eagle Rare a little more often, it seemed like. Um, and I think demand on that has changed. So, um, it's, uh, you know, these things are, we were in full swing of the bourbon boom for sure in 2017. Um, but it's continued, which is great. It's great for us and it's great for everyone in the industry. So, yeah, I mean, we, we all take notice about what you all do in regards of being able to, 
kind of like reinvigorate brands and everything like that. I mean, as you said, you know, like when you said like Weller is actually a pretty big deal. And I, probably about that time is when the packaging chain started coming as well. I mean, new bottle shape and everything like that. And so, you know, we've, we've taken notice. It's, it's been uh, very easy to kind of see what you all do in regards of being able to take something and, and kind of like give it a, a little bit of a facelift and kind of make it more even more of a premium product. Uh, per se as well 100 percent. that's been part of the strategy and by the way that 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 was about the same time those that new packaging was hitting the shelves about the same time i was starting so that was that that predates me but um the thought process was already there that we think we have something uh it's it's probably more of a premium brand than we give it credit for or the way that it looks you know on shelf and so some of that um, thought process had already started all right, we'll talk about premium brands in a little bit. I'm going to talk about your other premium brand, the one that we're actually here to talk to today. Yeah. So let's let's talk about Old Charter Oak. So kind of give us an idea of a little bit of the history of the brand, um, you know, why and, you know, like what was the, the idea of doing this extension and this experimentation? Yeah, um, actually, the, the game plan for this one was informed by something else we had done earlier in the decade uh, in 2011. You know, we had this old Taylor brand. Uh, tons of history. Never heard of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, tons of history, um, you know, but it, it was kind of, you know, bottom shelf, you know, it sort of migrated to sort of bottom shelf value type of bourbon. And we thought there's too much history in this thing. And so the team, once again, before me, but the team decided, let's, let's just sort of relaunch that brand. And we relaunched it as E.H. You know, e. Taylor, the, the brand that we, we see today. And um uh, and so completely reinvigorated that brand, uh, reprioritized it. And so it, it worked out really well. So we thought we had this other brand that was similar. Uh, Old Charters, a brand that we, you know, we've had since uh, 1999. Um, uh, the Chibizi brothers started in 1874. So a lot of history um, in, in that brand. And But it, it just wasn't really doing a whole lot. And so we decided, why don't we, uh, why don't we sort of, you know, relaunch that brand or sort of just reframe it as a, as a more premium, more current, relevant uh, brand and lean into, I think what the central idea of the brand was at the beginning, the, the, you know, old charter was named after the old charter Oak tree, which is this 500 plus year old Oak tree that fell in the 1850s. Um, that was, you know, famous for ho holding like the, the Royal charter of Connecticut in the 1600s. Like they hid this important documents from the British in this, you know, the, in the center of this, this big old tree. And so this, this, this idea of the charter Oak was uh, central to the brand originally. And we thought, well, let's just lean into that. What, you know, this idea. So the, so the idea, the central idea or tenant of this brand is uh, how do we celebrate and explore the role Oak plays in making great, uh, great bourbon. And, you know, the, the, the T2B Rex, a uh, new charred Oak container doesn't say American white Oak. And so there's there's a sandbox there that you can play in that not a lot of people are really you know sort of exploring different aspects of that and we decided that'd be that'd be a fun place to play and um and frankly we had already started doing that in our experimental as a part of our experimental program and so we were already looking at different types of wood and we thought this would be a great you know so we sort of connected dots this would be a great home uh for all these different wood experiments that we're doing you know over here and so uh, that that's sort of the um the genesis. So, you know, the other part is when you talk about the experimentation, you all are doing uh, a, a quite a bit of it, you know, versus a lot of other distilleries that, you know, you've got to do what's tried and true. We got to have our money maker. We, we, you know, stick to the plan, as they say. Um, now, when you look at the the different variations that are coming out, you know, you mentioned of taking something like Old Charter Oak, but you also do that with the H. Taylor brand too. I mean, you know, you got the four grain and I mean, 
tornado was a long time ago. Kirito can season wood. And so how do you decide which one goes into E.H. Taylor versus one goes to old charter and so on and so forth? Yeah, that, that's, you know, one of my favorite parts of the job is just, uh, well, I have many favorite parts of the job, I'd say, but it, it's, it's thinking through, well, what, what's this brand all about, you know, from a, not just a personality standpoint, uh, but, but from a whiskey standpoint, what it's going to, what is it about? Well, or, you know, for us is about, we did, you know, that we did bourbon mash bill, but once again, there's all kinds of things that you could potentially do there uh, in exploring. Um, E.H. Taylor uh, has been about bottling the bond. Like that's kind of, it's like the, the, the core of the, what that brand's about. Um, but it, it still leaves room for um, exploration and experimentation in different mash bills. But you notice most everything we do is bottled in the bond, 100, bottled 100 proof. Uh, Old Char Oak, it was really about, it's really about the wood, about the oak, you know? And so uh, that that's, you know, that's the filter. And so we take those filters into those experimental, you know, meetings uh, that we have. Um, it, it's a, it's a really neat process. So we can get into that if you guys want to. Let's get it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sounds, it sounds amazing. So it sounds like old charter might be a little more exotic versus like the E.H. Taylor. Like It's just all about the wood. So if we do something that that's really about exploring a different style of oak or different type of oak or an oak from a different region or whatever the case is, then the home for that experiment is probably going to end up being old charter oak. Whereas if we do something that's centered around weeded, then it might be, it might be Weller as an example, uh, theoretically. Or if we do some, uh, we've done a lot of different grain experiments with E.H. Taylor. He was very innovative himself. And so four grain, amaranth, uh, you know, things like that, um, uh, we, we sort of have pushed those into the E.H. Taylor brand. Um, so that, that's kind of how we think about it. Who was wise enough, you know, I'm trying to think of like Cured Oak, that was when it was bottled, it was still, I think it was 17 years old. Who was wise enough back then to, you know, think of this stuff? Yeah, it's a team approach. I'd say, you know, the way we do things here, uh, it's a good, it's a good example to get into maybe the experimental uh, process. So we, we have um, a, an experimental uh, team that has grown into, you know, 40 plus people. And they're, it's really, you know, it's Harlan, obviously, but it's also, you know, marketing and people in bottling and processing and PR and um, uh, people from, you know, it, it's a cross-functional team sitting in these meetings twice a year. And we look at our inventory of, of experiments that we've done. We've looked at a running list that we have of experimental ideas and we prioritize those, you know, so the marketing team might come and say, uh, hey, Harlan, um, you know, we've got this new brand, Old Char Oak, that's all about exploring and celebrating oak. I see we've got these different oak experiments going, which is great, but we need to keep, we need to, you know, keep trying new things because we need, uh, we want to continue to fuel that. Uh, so, okay. So, so we know, and, and, you know, his, his barrel team and procurement might go out and search cool new barrels for us to age, you know, age some of our bourbon in or, uh, so that's an example of how that works, but it's really a collaborative approach, a team approach. Um, but a lot of times it's like looking at inventory. You know, in that E.H. Taylor example, 18-year uh, marriage is a good one, uh, a good example. You know, the most recent one where we're like, you know, we typically do a special release of E.H. Taylor every year. We like to keep that going. Well, let's look at our inventory and what can we what can we put together? And so sometimes it's, it's, it's looking in the pantry and, and figure out what kind of barrels <laughs> that we have. Tonight? <laughs> right? See what kind of – and we have a lot of barrels on site, obviously. And so looking – what, what's something fun and new that we can do that fits in what E.H. Taylor is about? You know, yeah. we, we just don't want to do something that, that wouldn't fit with the brand. Uh, and we were fortunate to find, you know, some ultra age barrels of different mash bills. And we thought, you know, we hadn't done that before. Let's, let's, let's bring those together and marry those. And, and that, that could be our release. 
what we're trying to do now is obviously move forward and be a little more proactive. And so now we know that we have this whole charter arc. We know that we, we want to continue to do uh, new things. And so we like to plan ahead. And so if we want to release something 12 years from now, 10, 12 years from now, we need to find a cool new barrel or, or something we like today to make that happen. So, so hopefully 10 years from now, we're not just looking in the pantry and coming up with something, you know, ad hoc in a sense. So we sort of take it both ways, but it, either way you look at it, it's, it's sort of a collaborative approach. I do that for dinner all the time. Yeah. I'll go and be like, yeah, we want shrimp and grits. I don't have a pepper, but we'll make it without the pepper this time. You know, it's like you just try to find something to make it work. But we've been going for 30 minutes now and I'm getting thirsty. So let's, let's kind of start going through uh, some of these and start tasting along here. So I'm going to let you kind of lead us and tell where we should start and, and how we should go through it. Yeah. Um, great idea, by the way. Uh, so before we get into old Charter Oak, I thought it'd be good to, um, to help prove the point of, you know, just the role, uh, the importance of the barrel and the, the oak barrel. Let's start with sort of a control. And I thought that Eagle Rare would be a good sort of control bourbon for us. And so this is on the, the top left. Eagle about Rare. To ask, and then I realized their label underneath. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know they pulled out all the stops. You know, idiot proof. Uh, Eagle Rare is our BT one rye bourbon. You know, it's um, ten years old, bottled at ninety proof, small batch, and so everything we're going to taste is between nine and twelve years old, and they're all BT one, and they're all bottled in the low nineties. And so this is, I think, Eagle Rare is sort of a good control for us to just to. Um, just to see what the American white oak does in that sort of whiskey profile. Yeah, and one of the things I think that you get the the opportunity to be able to do is you get to try these as well as at barrel proof and 100 proof and everything like that. Did you find that when you took it down to uh, in the mid-90s and that sort of proof, is that when more of that oak characteristic, because I'm looking at a few of them here, we got Mongolian, French, Canadian oak, uh, chinkapin oak. Is that when more of that oak character really starts shining through at, at those different proofs for you? Yeah, it's a, um, it was a decision that needed to be made. And a couple of things go into that sort of decision. One is you look at it and just from a pragmatic standpoint, if you don't have a lot of barrels, if you're going to bottle something in barrel proof, then you're making a decision. Like it's going to be really hard to find. And then from a whiskey quality standpoint, you know, we have other brands that really are about these big, bold barrel proof, you know, stag is a great example. Right. And so we have a brand that sort of does that. And, you know, you can overdo it. Uh, it. So if we came out uncut, unfiltered, barrel proof, that Mongolian oak, by the way, came out of the barrel. It's something like 147, 149 proof. Oh I tasted it barrel proof. It was not in, it was hot. It was intense. It was plenty of flavor, but you know, <laughs> but it fought back. And so it just wouldn't have been the best use of that. And this is about nuance and subtlety and complexity and you know and not about just like smack you right in the face whiskey and so that that's sort of what steered our decision uh in that not to say that we couldn't ever do something higher proof if we found something that um that warranted it but that that's how we made that decision yeah and when we're going through these um at any point do you look at something and go like this one turned out amazing let's do this again like get get some more barrels let's Let's start putting them, filling them and putting them in the rick houses. Bingo. 100%. You know, because we... Probably all four the, of them. The, 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 the purpose of... Otherwise, you know, they wouldn't have bottled them. <laughs> the purpose of the experimental program is, you know, multiple fold. It, it's one... Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, we're trying to make the best whiskey we've ever made, the world has ever seen. You know, just trying to get better and better. And so you have to try new things. And, you know, a lot of times Harlan and his team and the production team, and the still, they're trying to learn new things. I've never used this grain. What does that do? Or it might be some process thing. Then, um, 
you know, but from a marketing standpoint too, like it's nice to have fuel for these brands and new news because people like new things, right? We just, we all do. So you try something and hopefully you learn something, but if it's really good, you want to do it again. And so that's for sure our mindset. 100%. 100%. Do it again and be like, well, we'll see you in 10 years. It's not a just, it's not meant to be like a one-time novel thing on purpose. Now, the problem is we can't do everything. So if we, you know, uh, so we have to pick and choose at the end of the day. But if we really like something, we're probably going to do it again. Try to find The it. problem is it takes 12 years, you know, it takes 12 years to replicate that, mm-hmm. that whole process. What's the cadence on these? Is it once a year or is it? We've been doing, a, so far it's been twice a year. Twice so a year, gotcha. Spring, fall, spring, fall. So... So Eagle Rare, everyone feel good about the, does it familiar you got, what Love do you it. guys think? Yep, yep, yep. Great, great tastes, start. Tastes great. Tastes great. Uh, so let's go, we're going to go chronological order. So we're, our next is the top right, Mongolian Oak. So this was the first release. Uh, this this sort of was the release that launched the brand or relaunched, you know, the brand. Um, fall of 2018. Uh, this is uh, BT1 aged in new charred Mongolian oak barrels for 10 and a half years. Uh, this was extremely limited. This was an experiment. So Harlan started trying to acquire these barrels in 2006. I think he finally got them around 2008 at an exorbitant cost. And I think he bought 10 barrels. And um, after 10 plus years, three of the barrels were empty. The other seven were something like 30% full. And so... Um, we learned that Mongolian oak doesn't hold liquid as well as we would like. Maybe we should have pulled that uh, four or five years. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but it, obviously it wasn't as good. So this is, uh, we thought it was, a re- it was a really good one to launch because it proved that the, the barrel matters, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, you, Just on the nose, you can tell instantly. Um, obviously, it, the barrel counts for 100% of the color, but Harlan will tell you well over half the flavor is attributed to the barrel. And this sort of kind of, it proves the point. And so it's really different. So we'll... I'll just uh, leave a minute for let you guys taste it. Yeah, definitely do that. But also, I'll get a kind of next question queued up for you. You know, as you're looking at these, and I'm, I'm thinking Mongolian oak, chinkapin oak, is this something you're working with, like, independent stave to go and, like, help source this wood, build these barrels? Or is there are there barrel manufacturers uh, on the other side of the world that are making these, and you've just got to get them shipped over? Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. 
the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Is this something you're working with, like, independent stave to go and, like, help source this wood, build these barrels? Or is there are there barrel manufacturers uh, on the other side of the world that are making these and you've just got to get them shipped over? Like, what's what's that process look like? I think it's a mixed bag. You know, we have several uh, barrel suppliers that we've worked with, uh, independent stave we've certainly worked with. Uh, you know, I think there are different companies that have expertise in different parts of the world, you know. The folks, there's some companies that sort of, um, that are experts in French oak barrels, you know, for the, the wine and, and yeah. cognac world. Um, so we're working with anyone who can help us achieve our goals, really. What is Mongolian oak usually used for? That's a great question. I don't know. I didn't know if Not some type of urban. spirit or type of industry. See, I thought it would have been like for furniture or something like that. You know, yeah. probably like some like crazy like wood grain or something like that. I don't really know. I mean, obviously know. it's a hardwood, so you can do all kinds of things with it, but... But yeah, it immediately turns, you yeah, know, you the Eagle Rare from like, you know, that typical like cherry, sweet, you know, fruity notes to like something that's really deep, tannic, um, leathery, woody. Like it's got a real nice, it's like a whiskey geeks kind of. I've got like a, like a pine and cedar kind of thing. But yeah. to your point, it transforms it to this, it, it, away from sweet aromatics right, and fruity right. to something else. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. No, it definitely, definitely is. And so the next one is... I'll uh, get my next piece of furniture and do like, throw it in our, <laughs> one of our barrels. Make your own staves out of it. Yeah. And just like throw it in there and be like, here we go. We're going to do our own Mongolian experiment. Because I would imagine, you know, sourcing this type of wood, like it can't be, it can't be cheap. It's got to be a little bit of a pain in the ass to do, to be honest with you. Because, you know, it's a lot easier to just go and be like, well, we know white oak is going to work. And so we're going to dump this here. We're going to do this experiment. We'll see in a decade. Hopefully we didn't lose all our money. Yeah, it's, it's not cheap. It's a complete pain in the rear end. Uh, it's very complex, and, you know, and so, um, but but that I, I think it just illustrates our commitment to to experimenting. You know, the the um, the motto at the distillery is honor tradition, embrace change, and you know the experimental program fits into this em- embrace change notion. And you notice that you'll notice that all these are aged start to finish in new charred oak. They're not finishes, and so uh, you know we took a different approach, a more laborious you know, a uh, longer lead time approach. Uh, but um, we think it, the, the results are worth it. Yeah. It's kind of opened up to some uh, like lemony, lemon, kind of like reminding me of limoncello on the Amalfi Coast or something. I don't know. That's what popped in my head. Ooh, look at you. Whoa. Like, Taking it to a kind of lemony, lemony notes opening up here. That's cool. But when you drink it side by side, it's like with the Eagle Rare, it's, you know, definitely the oak. The Mongolian makes a huge difference. Yeah, I, I, and it, it's it's fun. You need that control point, you know. Yeah, I think to go back. It's fun to, to go back and forth. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Now I'm looking at the color difference between like the French and the Mongolian oak, and it is it is stark different. Stark. I mean, you know the the Mongolian oak is just like just very light color, which is which is strange. The French oak is got this like rich. You know, they're they're very similar proof. Um, you know, almost a little reddish tint to it. Um, got like a brandy color. Yeah. The French oak uh, was released in spring of 19. It's 12 years old. So a little more time in the barrel. Uh, so this will be the oldest one we're going to taste. It's 92 proof. The Mongolian was 90. So close, close in proof. Um, but it's still BT one number four char. Um, but you know, French oak. And I have to say, 
as a team, when we tasted it, Harlan, Drew Mayville, the entire team, everyone's like, this is a home run. It's different. It's like, beautiful. This is no fail. It's uh, it's beautiful. Um, uh, so it's, it's a, uh, one of my favorites of this line so far. So yeah, I was about to say for, for me, I, I like it a little bit more than Mongolian oak. Yeah, the nose. Uh, I think the finish lasts a little bit longer on it, uh, but it's a it's a fantastic. I don't Ryan's. That's why I always look at Ryan for tasting notes because he's he's the one that that can pull these well, out. Like right off the nose, you could smell like some butteriness to it, and like in it on the palate, it it's got that buttery, uh, like kind of drizzle vanilla drizzle on a raisin brand. I think not raisin bran, but bread pudding raisin. Like, mm. I don't know. It's just very, it's delicate, but man, it's good. Keep talking. Yeah. Look, <laughs> Keep look, I, think, I think this is, uh, it really leans into the, but the buttery notes. Like we're at, and it's, it's like almost that, like a buttery Chardonnay or something. Mm. Thick, creamy mouthfeel yep. for a low proof. I mean, for a low, a relatively lower proof bourbon, oh, this yeah. has all kinds of mouthfeel to it in a long finish. Uh, it's, I think it's immaculate. Yeah, that's a guzzler. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it gets you in trouble. Usually at like 92, 93 proof, people are like, eh, I'm really not getting anything out of here. Like, usually, I mean, even for myself, we're always like, it's got to be like 100 or above to kind of like really start getting in more flavors and nuances and having a deep finish. This one might change my mind a little bit. Yeah, you guys are like me. I mean, we're all bourbon enthusiasts. So you have a tendency to gravitate towards higher proof stuff over time. I think most people do. But I think the mark of a, of a you know, separating good to great whiskeys a mark of a great whiskey is that it can be low proof and still yeah have that mouthfeel and long finish and that's just harder to do with a lower proof and so um, yeah i mean it's just like dusty bourbons they're you know 80 90 proof and you're there's so much flavor in there you mm -hmm. know but there's a perfect proof for each whiskey you know so that's like perfectly y'all you, nailed it with that one yeah and i i get a little stone for like apricots on this which i normally i think our backbone is more cherry you know sort of the fruit i get first but um this one's a little bit different so anyway that's uh that's french oak that's a that's a good one well done french yeah i know sign me up i'll take two so we might do that one again yeah i would think so <laughs> <laughs> all right so the the next one we're looking at is is can actually you know before we get into that I want to talk about the packaging a little bit mm -hmm. um, because you have a front emblem that is the, as you had probably talked about earlier, the actual old charter oak tree on the front. Um, is it made out of actual wood or is that a cork? Like what is, talk a little bit about the packaging and what went into the design too. Yeah. It, um, a long process that actually uh, the, the thoughts were sort of in place even before I, before I came on board, but um, we wanted to really lean into this oak thing. And so, you know, we had this, this charter oak, emblem or icon that we wanted to really lean in and you know packaging is just a lot of fun you know as a marketer i sort of geek out about packaging i, I think it it's part of the experience um but we wanted to do wood coasters on the front of the bottle and uh and we did that obviously there's a lot of cost and complexity involved with that and we spent a lot of time trying to get it right make sure it would stick on the bottle really well uh and so you had, it, you had to do like 10 different adhesives and test them i mean it's so there's so, a lot of stuff that goes in packaging people don't actually understand oh absolutely you know how many samples of these these little wood coasters you know we got <laughs> we got all kinds of them different adhesives but uh the, the etching of the tree is really neat and uh it's just tactile and it's it's fun uh and it is not coming off that bottle i promise you and before we start taking a sip of Canadian Oak, I want to also kind of talk about the line itself, uh, the availability, you know, as most people kind of know that anything that comes out of this distillery is likely going to be on allocation. What, or, and I know you talk about twice a year sort of releases. How hard is this for, for 
the average Joe to be able to find. It, it's as hard as anything we've done at the moment, but you know, we're, we're cranking away on this one and over time volumes will, will grow on this brand for sure. It's a, um, the good news is the word isn't all the way out on this one yet. And so, you know, I've heard stories of people just stumbling, you know, upon, stumbling it. upon it, you know, but, but we did limit the distribution from a geography standpoint because it was so little, we couldn't send it to all 50 states, you know, it, um, it just, there wasn't enough. So we concentrated on some, some key markets, you know, some big markets, big states here mm-hmm. in Kentucky. What's the price point on it? Uh, $70, $69.99. Wow. That, that's that's, one that's thing suggested I, retail, by the way. You know. and that's one thing I don't think y'all get enough credit for is the, the price points. You know, most distilleries are, you know, take looking at the secondary market, taking advantage. You guys have held strong and like a real reasonable price point. Where does that stem from? Um, it stems from a lot of places, um, first and foremost, where we believe in offering consumers great value. You know, uh, we want people to feel great about what they get for what they pay. And uh, we're a privately held family owned company. We don't have shareholders we have to worry about on a quarter by quarter basis. So that plays into role. And we're very long term strategic thinkers, I think, as a company. And so we're like, OK, uh, if we're going to take a price increase, it's because it's the right thing to do for that brand on the next 20 years, not not to take advantage of a bubble that's going on in 2019 or 2020 or 2021. Cause you know, we are in a little bit of a strange time when it comes to bourbon. Um, you know, demand is increasing um, at a, at a faster rate of supply and people are catching up on supply. But right now we all see prices going through the roof. And so we want to, you know, we want to uh, remain steady and, and offer a fair, uh, a fair price for, for what we do. And unfortunately we just can't control prices at, at retail. Um, but, that that's our mindset. Yeah, yeah, that's no, awesome. We've always said well, we appreciate about it. it. Yeah, I know. If you can find it, yeah, yeah. Cheers to that. If you can find it, yeah. So well. moving, and the other thing is that I remember I'm actually uh, racking my brain with like a press release that we had gotten about these, and uh, we called them century oaks, right? Like some of these, uh, some of the the oak that goes into these are coming from trees that are like hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, so far what we've done is, uh, we've, we've had, um, Mongolian oak, French oak, Canadian oak. Those are, th- are, uh, um, oaks from different countries, different parts of the world. Then we had chinkapin oak as our latest, which is a different species of oak. But we said in exploring and celebrating the role oak plays in m- making American whiskey, we could think about that in a lot of different dimensions. And one of the dimensions would be um, you know, what, wh- what would happen if you put a bourbon in a hundred year old oak tree versus 200 year old, 200 year old oak tree and, and, and so on and so forth. And so that's something that, you know, that, that we have planned and we just, we haven't released yet, but that's, that's another idea that you could see uh, hit the market at some point. And we're going to continue to think of other ways to sort of slice that, that idea, you know, at the end of the day. A lot of thinking going on. Yeah. Let's head North to Canada. <laughs> oh, Canada. <laughs> so this is, uh, so this is nine and change, uh, nine, nine plus years old, uh, 93 proof. Uh, so similar, we, we bumped it up a little bit. BT1 mash bill. This is a number, this is a number three chart. And we haven't talked about the other barrel, the other ones we've tasted so far have been six month seasoning. This one actually had a 24 month seasoning, uh, barrel stave seasoning. So a little longer seasoning time, but it's made from oak that came from Canada, colder climate. Uh, at the end of the day, Harlan will tell you tighter grain structure. And so it's really interesting, um, you know, hearing him talk about what that means. Well, over time, uh, the whiskey's going to go through more growth rings. And so it really penetrate um, 
more years of that tree's life than a standard oak and, and pulls out different flavors. So I think it's, it's, it might take a little longer to pull out as much flavor, but, uh, it's, it's a little more nuanced. And I have to say, this is right up there with French oak for me personally. It's, um, it's, um, yeah. it's, it's beautiful for different reasons. Uh, but it's, it's very subtle. Uh, ton of grape. I get so much oh. grape flavor on it. I was about to say just on the nose alone, I don't get this note very often, but I was going to say blueberry. Yeah, it does. It's got tons of fruity, like cobbler kind of notes on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's, it's really, and, uh, and this one's probably about the maybe not as dark as the French oak, but it definitely has uh, a lot of color to it as well. Yeah, and I don't know, I don't know because I knew I was tasting Canadian oak, but I, you know, I had this like honey slash maple syrup kind of thing, in, you know, in your mind. head, yeah. yeah, in my head. But it's it there's there's certainly a sweetness to it. Yeah, yeah, I get I, that. For me, a ton of grape notes, and then opens up to this nice like allspice kind of finish. It's really good. Yeah, no, this is this is really good. This is this is actually, I think, probably the one of the more unique tastes out of out of the lineup so far. Yeah, yeah. And let's go back to Eagle Rare real quick, just to ground or something. Mm. Oh yeah, always got to get that control in there. I don't want to. I like yeah, these, I know. <laughs> I like these two. Yeah, the Canadian. I mean, like it's it's got like some marshmallow flavor into it. Um, definitely like like some honey and everything like that too. I think it's it's really really good. It's fun. I, you know, in my mind, I, I thought this brand is for the bourbon enthusiast, right? I mean, I think this is like the perfect experience to experience this brand and, and taste them side by side and do ABs and, you know, versus controls. And um, there's each one is different, you know, different, uh, slightly different proofs. Obviously, barrels come from different places, different stave seasoning. So there's a lot to talk about and to sort of geek out about, um, which I think makes it more fun. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of variables when you just mentioned, you know, the stave seasoning, how long it is, uh, the char level, um, you know, how long it is aged. Like there's so many different variables into it. So when you go back and you look at something like whether it's the French or the Canadian oak and you're like, oh, okay, how can we replicate it? Are you going to, we're going to say like, okay, we know this one was by the book. This is what we look at the spreadsheet. Let's go ahead and just redo this one. You're like, well, maybe we'll like change the toasting. We'll, we'll toast the heads this time. We'll do something like, is this... And that's probably, this maybe goes to like Harlan or Drew that says like, oh yes, if we did this, it's going to change this character in X amount of years. Yeah. I mean, if we really like it, the idea would be hopefully to do it again. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, you'd have to go back and look. These were sort of, when they, when these things were put into the barrel, there was no plan for them. You know, th- this this first set that we're tasting through. And so they might've used some barrel supplier that we don't even use anymore, you know? And so you might not be able to, to replicate it 100%. And we all know that um, there's always going to be subtle nuances, especially when you're dealing with really small batch things and uh, well, different trees, different and trees and, and all that sort of thing. So uh, who's to say, I don't know where this, uh, the oak from this Canadian oak barrel came from. And so maybe by no, a trying to think what makes a Canadian oak. Cause I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's well, just, I had to take like, north. I don't know. I'd take botany and for my degree. And I'm thinking about like, just in America, there's like five different oak species. And so in Canada, I'm trying to think of the, what would be different because it's so close geographically and i don't know it might be the same species but just it, it's yeah, from a just different, in a different region yeah absolutely but you if, even if it's the same species if that oak tree grew in missouri versus 
Nova Scotia. There's for sure. So the fifth release is going to be Missouri, Missouri Oak, Missouri Oak. (laughs) Well, actually, actually, that's kind of like most of the barrels already that are in existence. They come from the O's, you know, around there. That wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't be a lot of different. (laughs) That wouldn't be very exciting. They'd be like, "Folks in Missouri, though, would probably be proud of." That's why I'm not a brand manager. (laughs) I'm just a lowly podcaster. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) But we do have plans to do state oaks, you know, and and so explore like regionality even within the U.S. So an oak tree that grows in, um, you know. Pennsylvania is going to be different than something that grows in South Alabama or something. I got a nice pin oak in my yard. If y'all want to use it you know, you go. For, just, for one, just one though, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so before we start, uh, you know, get into chinkapin here a little bit, I also want to talk about, because, you know, there was also what, if you're new to bourbon, you might not have seen them. They used to come out in three, seven fives was the Buffalo trace experimental collection or what people refer to as mm-hmm. BTEX. And those were, I mean, they're all over the place, right? When we think of stuff like that, are those things that you're like, okay, they were too small to be able to turn into a release or they just didn't fit the profile you all wanted? Like what was, what was the reasoning behind there versus how we could like find barrels that go into something like Old Charter Oak? Yeah, um, we still have that and we still do those releases, but we'll probably put something in one of those bottles and just bottle as uh, experimental collection if it doesn't have a natural home from a brand standpoint or we don't have enough of it you know some of these are really small experiments or you know just just really far out there and so it wouldn't if you did something um i'm not even gonna make something up but you know something too okay. crazy and put in an e.h taylor barrel you know it's like it would change the way people view the e.h taylor brand as an example so it it, it it it's part brand fit and part how much of it do we have that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive right. into Chinkapin real quick. And then also want to uh, throw another question at you of, of like, you know, these are our experimentations. Experimentations are good, but sometimes they're bad. Do you have an example of like anything that's ever gone bad in your opinion? I don't know. Uh, we've certainly had experiments that didn't go as well. We've had a lot of what we called failed experiments and we actually bottle them as for posterity. So the folks that come, you know, 50 years from now don't do the same thing. I think we did some small barrel experiments uh, as an example, you know, there was a lot of experimenting on different size barrels, 5, 10, 15 gallon Those are barrels. Cute. I like that. <laughs> They're adorable. You can, you yeah. can make them, yeah. Make you know, that better. was going on in the industry really, right. you know, 5, 10 years ago, a lot more than Hell, today. I think Knob Creek just did that, like the quarter oak or yeah. something, yeah, with the small barrels. So we did it and it didn't work out. And we we're like, nope, we're not putting that in the bottom. We're not selling that. Um, but we bottle it and we put a big red do not do it again. logo <laughs> on it and um so it didn't work for that's an example of one that didn't work for us and but it's okay because the point is to learn and so we learned something all right chinquapin give me the lowdown what is where chinquapin, what, it's, chinquapin? it's a it's a species of oak that i think uh i didn't learn this in botany <laughs> yeah it's a species of oak that grows in the midwest primarily i think and uh so this is nine plus years old bt1 again 93 proof uh this is actually 24 months uh, seasoning mm-hmm. in this one. Uh, Long seasoning. I thought you were going to say that so, whiskey. Oh, number three <laughs> char. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's, what was the age on this one? You said a little bit over nine. Yeah. Nine plus. Yeah. This one's got a different flavor proof. It's, um, I'm trying it's to wrap my head around the a, nose. A little bit more, a little more dry. And I'm, I think they're dry. Right. I got this like fresh herb kind of thing going on. Yeah. It's definitely earthy. More, yeah, like not oregano, but you know, like, Herbs. Italian <laughs> yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. Not Italians. I'm not trying to say that. I'm, I'm, it's have a it's bit very of... herbaceous versus the other ones, which were like more dried fruits and elegant. This is like off profile, but it's good though. Yeah, I like this, it. This is the, uh, it's different. Uh, and 
you know, a couple, it's really all about the wood. And then the stage season is different. Uh, the Canadian oak, actually, I think I misquoted it's, it was, it was 10 plus. So, uh, a little bit older, but this is the youngest one at nine. Yeah. Like I said, it's different for me. Uh, my, my allegiances lie with French and Canadian. I think that's where, that's where I'm at. You know, they're all fun. Um, but, uh, it sort of proves the point that the, the barrel matters. Yeah. I like Canadian. I think Canadian and French. Mongolia Chinkapin. There you go. Now but you know Ryan's. They're all good. No, this was this was fantastic, especially to kind of go through, you know, this entire lineup. I think we made a lot of people jealous because not a lot of people get this opportunity. And by the so, way, I think this is the first time we've done this, you know, for sure, you know, with all four. We've done some tastings before, but I don't think they've included, you know, the first four releases. Uh, but, we appreciate uh, the bottles, We haven't done it much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, like I said, this, <laughs> this is a fun experiment and definitely uh, awesome that we're able to try all these because not a lot of people get the opportunity to and, you know, being able to, you know, shine more light on the brand so people are just not like, oh, it's another limited release I'm never going to see, but they know more about it, right? They they can appreciate, you know, the experimentation. They can appreciate uh, the amount of time that's involved and, and also the brand building that goes behind it and making sure that, you know, you're testing 20 different kinds of adhesives of that's actually going to go on this bottle, right? Like it's, there's a lot of thought that actually gets poured into it. So thank you so much for coming on and, and definitely sharing this opportunity with us. And thanks for having me. Um, it's fun to talk about what we do. You know, it's, it's, it's a blast. It's, uh, uh, you know, I love doing what I'm doing. And at the end of the day, whiskey is supposed to be fun. So yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Joshua, before we kind of sign off, if there's any way that people want to follow you uh, and kind of learn more about you, how would they be able to do that? Um, yeah, it's not about me. I'd just say follow, follow all of our brands, follow, uh, go to old charter Oak, you know, the, the website and follow us on social. Uh, we're on, you know, the brands on Instagram and stuff. So, uh, follow, follow all of our brands. So again, Joshua, thank you so much for coming on and for Buffalo Trace for hosting us here today. Uh, make sure you go follow those brands. If you find old charter Oak, good luck out there, you know, try to find it. Uh, especially, you know, like I said, I thought French and Canadian were really great, but honestly, all these, if, and I think what Joshua actually did in giving us a, a control of Eagle Rare yeah. really set the tone of what this is, is going to be because you definitely see all those nuances and taste them between different um, variations because if it is the same mash bill and it's really just the oak that's the different character, it stands out. It's very Yeah, if you're, if you're lucky enough to get one, you got to do it up against an, against an Eagle Rare. It's amazing the difference between them and, you know, just what the oak does. So, yeah, kudos to yeah, that. Yeah, and I, I would just say, everyone, be patient. I and mean, we're going to keep doing more of it and we'll have more volume. And so... Um, just because it's harder to find today, it might not be that as hard, you know, you're nine years to 12 now. years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, our kids will be almost graduated from high school by then. Something like that. Yeah. I'll be Good celebrating to those who wait. <laughs> That's right. Can't rush perfection. Absolutely. So again, thank you so much and make sure you follow them. Follow us on all the socials as well. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And if you like what you hear, want to actually share it with other people leave us a review on itunes or apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast spotify and if you want to support the show check it us out at patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit with that cheers y'all and we'll see you next week toodles <laughs> <laughs>